Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Bring on the sights, bring on the savings, and bring on Europe with the Aer Lingus Bring on Europe sale. Bring on warm Irish hospitality. Bring on legendary sights, cosy pubs, food, history, and culture. Bring on incredible deals to over 20 European cities, including spirited Dublin, romantic Paris, lively London, and wondrous Rome. There's a whole continent that's yours to be explored. Smart says bring on Europe for less. Smart flies Aer Lingus. Book now at aerlingus.com.
Hello? 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 You have reached me at area code 925-56. Hello? Hello, anybody there? No one on the other end of the line here. connected right now. Hey, Iman, can you hear me in the chat room? Something must have went down. I, I've been talking my ass off through this whole show, and nobody's heard a word I said for the last 30 minutes. That's pretty funny. Maybe it's better that way. <laughs> just got the music and a lot of dead air in between, but we'll see what happens. All right. I don't know if it's coming through right now. If not, I'm going to uh, use a landline, I think, for tonight's show. Okay, we're good. I apologize, everybody. Something must have went down in between one of the songs, and uh, I didn't catch it. But let's get Brian back on the line right now. We should be good. Hello. Brian, can you hear me now? It's Mike. I can hear you, Mike, loud and clear now. It's perfect. There was no sound. Yeah, yeah. I heard you coming through, and I didn't even realize that something must have been wrong on my end, but... You know what? People got a lot of dead air for the last half hour, but maybe it's better that way. They didn't have to hear me for a while. Okay. <laughs> How are you this afternoon, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, and it's a pleasure to talk to you. We got a lot to get to with your band, Burnt Orphan, from back in the day. You want me to give Steve a call right now and connect him? Absolutely. All right. Let me reach out to him. I think I didn't have any luck with you. Why put two people through that uh, that process? You, let's get no problem. <laughs> and we'll do it. No worries, guy. You got it. You know, anytime I come Alrighty. to New York, I know you're out in California a long time, but, you know, you're still a New Yorker. I'll ne- it'll never leave me, man. I went back in 85 for three weeks and stayed with my aunt, and we did the whole thing. It was great. It was fun. Yeah. 
Good, I'm glad. All right, but that was the last time. <laughs> gotcha. I don't blame you. <laughs> okay. Hello. Steve, this is Mike. You're on the air with Brian. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm doing great. We're all together now, like one big happy family. Right. Hey, well, listen, guys, like I was saying early in the show, even though nobody heard it, I used to be a demo tape trader, you know, back in the early 80s when that was like the thing to do. And I remember getting a copy of the Burnt Offering demo and like saying, wow, you know, but not a lot was known about the band. And it kind of seemed like it disappeared not long after the tapes came out. Is that kind of the way things went in a nutshell? Uh, Pretty much it did. It was kind of an obscure demo. Um, when we did it, it's like, you know, we were young, we, we put a band together and we were actually trying to figure out what we wanted to do, but it was definitely one of those things where when the final product came out and we got it out as much as we could locally in our area and to different people and into the scene musically, what was going on, handing it to different people, it, it was, it, it kind of a situation where we did it, we pushed it, we played several shows and then we kind of, it kind of faded the whole situation faded for different reasons as far as the band. But I think Steve pretty much has a good memory, better than me, and can give you, you know, more insight. Answer the question accurately. What's that? How how did the whole thing come about? Let's get back to the beginning because not a lot of info is known about the band. There's always been this confusion about the two demo tapes. Which one really came out first? Which one was, you know, the originals of the, the origins of the band? Let's kind of go back to the beginning. All right, how far back do you want to go? <laughs> well, right after you were born, and we'll take it from there. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I was born, and then I met Dean. And uh, anyway, we used to hang out, and um, we were playing guitar together and had, like, you know, I spent a lot of time over at his, his house, where, you know, his parents' house. Like he said, we were all in high school. And uh, we used mm-hmm. to have, like, jam nights just in his uh in his living room and then one day I was like hey man why don't we just do this for real you know why don't we write some songs and get a band together and uh so we started writing some songs and um Dean did a little party with uh Chris and I think it was around November October November of 84 and uh, I guess right after that, he said, hey, you know, we got this thing going. You want to you wanna come jam with us? So, Chris, we started, you know, Dean and I started jamming with Chris. And it was good. And finally, Dean says, well, I know this guy that plays bass. Yeah, I was in a little band with him. Or, I mean, we were in the same band, but at different times. And that's when he, uh, he talked to Bob. And we all started uh, jamming you know, regularly trying to get thing, you know, being serious as we could. <clears throat> and uh, after we got a bunch of stuff down pretty tight, we made like a three song. Some people call it a demo, but it was basically just, we recorded it on like a boom box in Chris's room. And we sent that to, uh, or gave that to the local radio station, KBHS. Clayton Valley High School, Battle of the Band thing, and they played that on there. We traded a bunch of those at um, Rasputin's and uh, the Record Exchange and Concord, Pleasant Hill, Walnut Creek. And then uh, I guess that got passed around, and um, 
this guy, Joe, what was his name, Brian? Joe Miner? His name was Joe Miner. Joe Miner was a schoolmate of ours that basically one day came into the men's bathroom, literally. Uh, I was using the bathroom and I was on my way out, but I used to use the bathroom as an echo chamber. And he was the guy who grabbed me and said that these guys were putting something together. They had been jamming for a while and they're looking to audition singers. So why don't you check it out? So that's kind of how that happened and how I came in at the very end and was like the missing piece to the puzzle, auditioned, and it just worked out from there. That's basically, wow. you know, the capper so you, to the if story. You didn't have to take, if you didn't have to take a piss that day, you might not have been in the band. Let me tell you something. If I didn't have to take, take a piss that day, it may have happened anyways because I was a bit of a nut in high school, and a lot of people <laughs> can, can contest to that, especially the teachers. You know, I was just a crazy kid back then. What can I tell you? You know, it's just yeah. you, you live and you learn. Well, you know, like you said, it's 84. I mean, metal is, I mean, you know, it's already starting off the scene. I mean, you know, bands are getting noticed. Some bands that were, like, really underground are now getting signed to major labels. You guys are starting up. It's your turn now. You know, where do you take it from there? I mean, do you say, you know what, this is something I really, like, you know, want to put all the time and effort into and make it big? Or is it just something for fun that you're having a good time doing at the time? You know, we were, honestly, we were planning on yeah, go ahead, Steve. Ser- you know, seriously, full time. I mean, we wanted to, you know, that's all we wanted to do is, is play music, make make music, you know, be on stage, make records and all that. And uh, I got a call one day when I was at work. Uh, it was the, um, I was working at Roundtable. And I got a call and I answered and it was this guy, VJ Benz. Uh, you know, I knew him pretty well. But uh, he's all, hey, Steve, it's VJ. Um I uh, I got a gig for you guys at this this you know nightclub in Berkeley if you guys want to do it and I was like hell yeah so uh, VJ he's the uh, um, manager for Death Angel back at, you know at that time so right. he set us up and we uh, played that show played a couple more and um for and and as far as the demo goes. Uh, we did that one on the, the boom box, but then we finally got some money together and Dean knew this guy that was pretty good friends with Dean Rossi, the guy that had the uh, the studio. So Dean talked to him and we went in and booked some time and we did the first three songs. You know, I mean, we're all high school. We, you know, we didn't have any jobs at the time. This is before I worked at Roundtable. But uh, we pulled our money together and did three songs and got those on tape. And, you know, we're all hell of excited. And, I don't know. It was at least a couple, two, three, four weeks later, we went back and then did the other three. And that's when we completed it and, you know, put it on the Frightmare demo. Yeah. And, and that Frightmare Sounds. demo became really well known. So a lot of people, even today, it's one of the demo tapes that you know, people talk about in their collection. You know, at that time, like it says, you know, you're a bunch of young guys scrapping money together just to go into the studio. That's where most bands did it back then. You know, you, you had a little bit of money. There was never nothing left for mixing. It was just all in the recording process. That's just how it went. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what it was. There was a lot of unassurances. I mean, we're all, we're in high school, you know, going to be 10th, 11th, 12th grade. And then after that, you know, your future, you got to figure what you're going to do. And and I think, you know, a lot of us, especially Chris and I, and I know Dean and Steve felt the same way. We really wanted to pursue it. But, you know, life throws all kinds of obstacles in front of you. And sometimes you don't have the opportunity to pursue things like you'd like to. 
and you know you got to get a job and be responsible. So that played into things as well. But um, I knew very early on, I knew that Chris, you know, he had something special, and I and I was you know trying to pick up on things that he was doing, the way he was playing, the way he was you know coming up with ideas, and he had a lot of great ideas. But Dean and Steve as well played a large role musically on the demo, coming up with the musical ideas. Basically, um, I wrote Frightmare, the lyrics for Frightmare, okay? The other lyrics Dean already had and was having me memorize, okay? And then there was also Running Blind, the very first song on the demo. That was written by a girl in L.A., the lyrics, and that was a friend of Dean's. And then Dean presented the lyrics to me and said, well, what do you think? Can you, can you do this? Can you learn it? And we put it in. We fitted it in, and the lyrics just worked out right. And I, I just worked on it and, and applied the vocals and went from there, you know? But I think everybody was instrumental in the demo being what it was and becoming what it was because we all had a belief system that we wanted to do this long term. But, you know, like I said, life throws things in your way and, and you got to just, you got to go roll with the bunches and it either things you to work or they don't, you know? So. True. True. You know, 84 Thrash is really starting to become big right now. You guys are in that genre, but I think you were a little bit more extreme than maybe other bands that were doing what you were doing. Yeah, there there were bands that, that you know, we I think we were extreme. Maybe at that time we didn't look at it or, or a lot of other people didn't look at it that way right off the bat, but there was a lot of good stuff out during that time. And and I think the, the Frightmare, Burn Offering Frightmare demo fits in perfectly with a lot of the things that were out. I mean, you know, Annihilation was great from Fremont. They were another California band that was close to us. They were great. Uh, you know, there's a lot of them. There was a lot of good ones. You know, Death Angel, we went to school with Death Angel, so we got to see them from the very infant stages, how they were running their show and how they were getting their, you know, momentum going, and they had a lot of help and stuff, and, and what they were doing was really cool, too, and we were fortunate to play with them as well as Blind Illusion and a few others, you know? So, yeah, you know, I think it fits in well. Yeah, like you're talking about Death Angel, another band very young at the time. Almost all of them were in their teens at that at that stage. You think it's harder when you're that young because really, all you're thinking about probably is write music. You know, maybe if you can get you know a record deal, get up on stage, meet girls, get drunk, get high. That's all you're thinking of when you're when you're that age. You know, when does it transform into like, hey, you know what? Maybe we can make a career out of this. Look what Death Angel did. Look what Possessed did. Look what all these other bands, Blind Illusion. I mean, well, Mark is still getting high and, and he's out there anyway. But Mark's always been that way. Mark Peterman, but all those other bands like we're young and getting started. Like right. That. Absolutely. I mean, I'm gonna I'll let Steve answer that one. That's a good one for him because I can only talk for myself. And that was I had the leisure to screw myself up, but I was more into not doing all the heavy drugs and stuff like that. I mean, I experimented, but I was more at a certain point where it was pot, and that was about it. No drinking, no cigarettes, no hard drugs after yeah. a certain point in the '80s. So um, I would let Steve answer that question, honestly. Yes, Steve. So uh, I kind of zoned off on the question. What was, what was the question there? Uh, about getting high. So I guess you were because you were zoning out. But, no, we were talking about being young. <laughs> you know, you just – at that no, age, really, you just want to party and have, like, your record out and get up on stage and meet girls and get laid and stuff like that. There's a come a point in time where it crosses over to, you know what, we can make this something like, you know, maybe we can make a living out of it. But, or do you need that kind of guidance, like, from somebody who's been around more? Or is that kind of like a hard concept for a teenager to come up with? It wasn't a hard concept. I mean, that was our plan from the beginning. Dean and I, that's that's why we started. You know, we wanted 
we wanted all that other stuff, you know, getting drunk, getting laid, and all that fun stuff. But all we really wanted to do was play music and be on stage. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, that was our plan from the beginning. And I guess after we released the demo and we saw how well that was going and we we started playing uh, bigger shows, it started to feel like, you know, well, this can really happen. And, uh, you know, unfortunately it didn't, but, uh, yeah. you know, just. No, I agree uh, with what he said as well. I agree that's pretty much how we, our mind thought was at the time. Um, you know, still to this day, I've been striving to do things myself. I can only talk for myself. Like I've been trying to do things as far as recording. I've had side projects that I've done recordings, played various shows, headlined a show at the Whiskey A Go-Go in 2009. That was for a side project that I did, but I've kept active in the studio and trying to write things all these years later. Um, I, I just think it was time to come and, you know, present it to the public and go on radio and talk about the burnt offering demo, you know, because it was very influential to a lot of people that I've talked to. And, yeah. and I just think it, it's a neat, unique thing, you know, and, and I'm into a lot of different demos and stuff. And, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's part of the history, you know, it's part of the history of the underground and it's part of the history of the Bay area underground as well. True. Yeah. You so talk about California. You yeah, go ahead. Um, you were saying that you were, you know, back in the eighties, into trading demos and all that. Where did you live at the time? I, I live in I lived in New York in Brooklyn, New York back then. I'm still in New York now, just in a different area of New York. Uh, you know, back then you used to make pen pals through magazines, and some guy lived in California, some guy lived in Portland, Oregon, some guy lived in Canada. You know, and just became pen pals, and they would trade local demo tapes or stuff they had in their collection, and that's how I came across you guys. But, you know, back then, there was no internet. There was no way of finding out what right. was going on with the band if you weren't in Kerrang! or Metal Forces magazine back then. So, like, you know, all these years later, like, wow. I mean, you know, I remember this band. Now they got a, a Facebook page, and, you know, you can find them on the internet a little bit. So it's an amazing thing. I agree. It morphed into this. It morphed into this. Yeah. But the reason I was asking, though, because all those years ago, I heard, oh, yeah, they're trading it all over. And I'm like, you know, I just took it for what whoever – told me he was telling me you know like oh cool but you know i honestly wasn't sure was it really getting to new york was it really getting to i mean i when it came to uh, new york i sent it to somebody in cincinnati ohio who probably sent it to somebody in mexico sent it over overseas to europe that's you know they just got passed around i mean that's how it happened for metallica when you think about it wow you know guys (laughs) i've talked to hundreds of people around the world on, on social media. And I've had one guy tell me that he traded it hundreds of times. I mean, yeah. you know, since 85 and he traded it for various demos and new stuff that he didn't have. So it's been from one end to the other, definitely. And like I said, I talked to a ton of people and they all said they either have it in their collection, heard of it or have traded it or know about it. You know, I mean, it, it's just never ending. It seems like the people that I've talked to, but, um, yeah, it, 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 it's a neat thing. Absolutely. It's something that when you look back, you've got to be proud of. And like I was saying earlier, I think in California back in the 80s, I mean, it seemed like it had two divided scenes. You had, you know, the hair metal bands on one side. You had the heavier thrash metal bands on the other. I mean, was it an active scene for both, you know, you know both kinds of music, or did you kind of have to mix and mingle? I think it was more mix and mingle. 
Let, go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. As far as I was aware of it, there were, I mean, San Francisco, Bay Area, you know, Berkeley, Oakland, all of those venues that played the, the thrash metal. All I ever saw was, you know, the, the heavy thrash metal and, you know, some punks. But, I, you know, as far as I was aware, all of the hair metal band was all down south because I never, I mean, I knew a couple guys that, you know, ratted their hair out and were into that music, but I didn't, I never saw an actual scene around this area that I can recall. Yeah. Was it territorial, you know, I guess, or, you know, nobody wanted to go the other way? What's that? You know, be, go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. I, I didn't have the question. Oh, I was saying, was, like, the music scene kind of territorial where people didn't want to mix and go in between, like, you know, the two different genres of metal? Um, pretty much here, as long as it was metal, as long as it thrashed. I mean, one of the one of the shows we did, we did with uh, um, The Accused, and they're a Seattle, you know, hardcore yeah. punk band. And uh, I forget who was, I think it was like Attitude Adjustment or something like that. But I mean, we're playing with, you know, the, the punk rock or the hardcore, whatever, whatever you want to categorize them. But we never had any issues. Like we actually got along with all the guys, you know, it's like you guys are playing metal. We're playing metal. This is, you know, we like what you're doing. Right. They like what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely right. When did it finally end? When did you guys say, you know what, it's you know it's not working or whatever the conversation was, and how did it just come uh, come to an end? Um, well, when it come to an end, it was, I think it was in '86. Dean may have gone a little bit farther. Um, it ended up that Brian and Chris left the band. It was in '85, right? That's, it was the end. Yeah, it was end of '85, the very end of '85, and Chris and I winded up. Yeah, it was '85. It was the end of '85, beginning of '86, I believe. And Chris and I left, and we winded up forming Frightmare and taking the name from the demo, and basically writing a bunch of songs. And we basically had a guitar player and couldn't find a bass player for the longest time. So what happened was we, we kind of did some stuff, did a lot of rehearsals for about four or five months, and then kind of called it a day on that. And then I re-upped on Frightmare with, with some new people, one guitar player named Bill Elmore and a drummer named Paul Corbin. And we winded up doing two different demos, and Doug Wood was on bass, the original bass player. And we wind up doing two demos that are on cassette that have really never been heard only by close friends and people we know. I don't know. I mean, I never traded them or anything like that, so they're not really in circulation. And each demo has two different songs on it. And the 87 demo is with Bill and Paul. And then um, the earlier stuff is with Bill and Paul as well and Doug on bass. It's, it's pretty interesting stuff. It's pretty heavy. And I'm in the process of, redoing the four songs, doing drum tracks for them with a drummer. So I'm working with a drummer right now and trying to figure out the framework for everything and then go from there, record it and do it, go from there. Oh, that'd be great. You know, everything old is new again these days. I do believe that the, the demos are getting re-released, aren't they? Or were they already put out? Um, Traumatic Records re-released it last April 5th and we, it was limited on cassette only. And it's just kind of a revised version of it. 
The sound quality, you got to keep in mind, the burn offering demo was not good quality by any stretch of the imagination. It was raw. It was rough sounding. Um, a Tascam 4-track is only going to give you so much stuff back in those days. You know, you only get to the top at the time, but you're only going to get so much production out of it, and that's what we recorded it on. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it was just rough, and I'm just glad it's appreciated, you know? Yeah, and it's on cassette too. You know, I'm gonna have to go buy an older car now, so it has a cassette player in there, just so I can pick up a copy and play it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think we all need to buy a cassette player. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But yeah, I'm so, gonna have uh, to look for my mom. Uh, yeah. Dean and Bob and I actually uh, kind of uh, went on after Chris and uh, Brian left, and. Uh, we tried out a bunch of drummers and a bunch of singers, and we ended up with this guy, uh, Tim Foss, on drums and Rick Gallagher on um, vocals. Played a few more shows. You know, we played with Death Angel Possessed and uh, someone else, and then we uh, we played played a couple more good shows, but the band just wasn't the same, so we kind of moved on from Tim, and we, we got this guy, uh, um, Walter Ryan, who's now, I believe, the drummer for DRI. We were jamming with Walter, and I uh, forget, I don't think we had a singer. We, we were trying to keep it going. Then I think, you know, basically just life happened, and we, well, I ended up going my own way, and then I think Dean played, uh, like, two or three more gigs with them before he called it quits. Yeah, yep, but, that is correct. No, but now uh, Dean and I have been kind of working towards what we want to do is um, re-record the Frightmare demo as far as like going go in with the two of us and depends on the other musicians that we, you know, could find to play with us. But we want to re-record that. And I'm sure if Brian, Brian would like to do that. I mean, I would hope. Absolutely. But uh, oh, that'd be great. <laughs> so we, we want to redo those six songs, but, um, Mostly Dean has been working. He's got like three or four songs that sound great, and we're going to work towards hopefully maybe by the end of this year, beginning of next year, be able to, you know, finish recording, you know, the, the original six and then like three or four of his new tunes that he's got working on. You know, when you're going to re-record the old songs, you know, that's like a sticking point to a lot of diehard fans because, yeah, of course, they would love to hear a better quality version of it because the production wasn't there back in the day. But they always worry about, you know, the musicians kind of tinkering with it and changing, you know, the sound and the vibe of it. And nobody likes that. I mean, you can kind of try to keep it as close to the original as possible or maybe make a little changes where you felt maybe back then parts of songs weren't working out and now you have a way of kind of correcting that. Uh, making little changes, you know, we, we talked about this a lot. We wanted to make a few changes here and there where back at the time we maybe we weren't good enough players or, um, you know, later after we recorded it, we thought, you know, we should have done this. Not a lot. I mean, we'd like to keep it as close to the original except for, you know, the sound quality and the, uh, the um, quality of our, you know, playing has improved since, you know, 85 but uh, yeah, you know, try to keep it basically with the same vibe, just cleaner and better. <laughs> yeah, hey, that'd be. I'd I love agree. To hear that man. I hope it happens, Brian. I hope you're singing on it because I definitely would love to hear that. 
as the decades went on, did you think people completely forgot about the band? Or did you kind of know that, you know, people were still talking? You know, be honest with you, I didn't get on social media till the end of 2016. I don't know. I just wasn't into getting. uh, Excuse me? How lucky you. Oh, I'm lucky. Uh, I missed them. I missed a part of civilization. I think I'm glad. But, you know, I didn't get on till the end of 2016. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think people forgot about it. I just think kind of like years go by and you, you just don't hear about it or people bring it up. But I try to been, I've been trying to keep it alive on social media and talking about it every now and posting stuff with Chris. You know, the few pictures I have, I have like bedroom pictures of burnt offering rehearsals that I've, you know, posted numerous times or, you know, the anniversary of a show or something, I'll do like a post. But, um, yeah, I, I think people have kept it in the back of their minds in the underground. I mean, if you're collecting tapes and I, and I watch Chris accumulate hundreds of tapes to where his mother said, I'm bringing home boxes for you so you can put these tapes in boxes because it just got overwhelming. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's just. Yeah, I don't know. I I think it's always been there, and I think it's here to stay for a long time. And when the time comes to redo some things or go in the studio and do it, I'm definitely on board 100%. And I made that clear to both both other members, Dean and Steve. And, you know, I don't know about bringing Bob back. We don't even know where Bob the bass player is. But uh, Chris, I think either he'll have time to do it when the time comes or he won't be interested in doing it at all. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to Chris since 2012 in person. That's how long it's been. But uh, I'm always hanging out with Danny, and me and him have been good friends down through the decades, and we live real close to each other. So let's see what happens in the future. I think it'll work. Even though you haven't spoken to Chris since 2012, I don't think that's an issue. I haven't spoken to my wife since 2009, and we're still together. So, I mean, there's hope for everybody out there. I think it'll work. (laughs) Don't don't worry about it. Right on. Right on, Mike. Hey, listen, I'm going to let you guys go because I want to get some music on. We're going to wrap this thing up here tonight. Now, I hope you guys do get back together. I hope you make it something full-time, you know, full-term, and you keep recording. And if it does happen, just say that it was because of me because I've been trying to get one band back together for 11 years, and it never happens. And when it does, they wind up killing each other or something. So just just make it happen. Excellent. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. been a pleasure being on the show and talking to you, Mike. It's all my pleasure, guys. Brian, Steve, have a great day. Take care. Enjoy the warm weather in California. We're freezing our asses off here in New York. All righty. Right, Thank you. Day. Have a good one. Take Bye-bye. care, guys. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Let's get into some burnt offering. How about the title track of that killer demo from back in the day? Fright Man.
Uh, great demo tape. I hope they do get it out there. I would love to hear their updated version of it, see what it sounds like. I have to apologize for the first half hour of the show. I didn't realize the mic was down. You know, it was showing me everything's digital today. So on the digital board, it's showing me that everything is coming through loud and clear. Unfortunately, it wasn't, but you didn't really miss much. Actually, I went on a whole thing about uh, Deuce Intention and, uh, and Liege Lord. So other than that, not too much missing. I want to thank Brian and Steve for being on tonight's show. We still got about an hour left before we wrap it up here tonight. Uh, next month, February, got a great bunch of guests lined up here. I'll put them up on the show's page this week. Uh, but I do believe next, let me see what we got lined up for next uh, weekend. Uh, we have Michael Gilbert from Flotsam and Jetson and Herman Frank from Accept, or used to be with Accept. He's got his own band right now. We'll be talking to those two guys next Sunday night. And we got a killer lineup for the whole month of February, like always. All right, before we get into anything new, last week I wanted to mention that, you know, Jana Garner left Vixen. I mean, it's not the build end all in the news department, but she left the band to go solo. So, I mean, I don't know who's managing her. I mean, it's probably her husband or her boyfriend, and they think they know about the business. But, you know, even though I wasn't a fan of Vixen's music, I was always a fan of four hot girls, well, at least three girls. The bass player was kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of out there. But the other three were kind of hot. I mean, you know, Roxy Petrucci still looks pretty good today. She's got a little miles on her, but she still looks pretty good. But And the guitar player passed away. I'm sorry, not Jan- Jana Garner. Uh, I don't know, I'm, all, I'm tongue-tied here. The guitar player passed away about a year or so ago. If she was going to leave the band to go solo, it should have been in the 80s when <laughs> if the Little on the Edge of a Broken Heart came out and she had a chance to make it as a solo artist. Who's going solo today from a band from the 80s that had one hit song? I mean, that makes no sense to me. I don't know who's guiding her. I I know she's a dental hygienist, and maybe she does that a lot more than she does the band, and maybe the band wanted to go and do a lot more than they were doing. They kind of did the festival rounds, which wasn't bad. I don't think they did really more than that in one-off shows here and there. I can't really recall them going out on any kind of extensive tours, you know? But, I mean, where are you going solo today? You're going to go solo to do what? To do a couple of songs off an album that nobody heard of or anybody bought? Or are you going to go play in a festival in front of a couple of thousand people with that band and make a little money? It makes no sense to me anyway. Shay, maybe there's more to it behind it than that. Maybe she wasn't getting along with the other girls in the band. I have no idea. But they brought Lorraine Lewis in. I mean, she's also pretty well known from the 80s, the fill-in. But not the fill-in. She's going to be there until something falls apart with her. But you know, like I said, I wasn't the biggest Vixen fan. I really don't care too much about what they do. But going solo now for an 80s artist, you know, who really didn't have, you know, like, you know, stadium success makes no sense to me. You better just stay in there and making some money doing some festivals here and there. That's just how I feel. All right. Let's get into some music. Then we'll get back. Here's Ruthless. They got a brand new record coming out this year. Kenny McGee is back in the band, so I'm looking forward to hearing it. I believe it's uh, sometime this spring. I'll reach out to Sammy. We'll get them on the show when the album comes out. But let's go to Out of the Ashes.
saw it. I forgot how good those guys really were, man. What a great record that was. Children of Heaven. And right before that, we gave you Ruthless out of the ashes. Wait for Burning Record to come out. I'm just trying to dig up something here that I was looking at in the news before. I, I couldn't remember what it was. I'll try to find it a little later on. But there's this website called Metal Addicts. I hate to even give them any attention, but they put a post up that Lee Kerslake uh, had passed away uh, today, or maybe it was yesterday. The post was up there. And uh, it's not true. This website has a habit of doing that. They post, uh, I hate to sound like Donald Trump here, but they do post a lot of false or fake news. They do it all the time. Or they take a quote out of an interview to use as their lead into their story that has nothing to do with the actual story. It's a behind-the-scenes thing. Last week, they made a comment that uh, John Gallagher from Raven you know, hated some band or something. I think they were referring to Metallica. But it was all they said interview was about a, a road crew member of the band, you know, for that band they were talking about. They do this all the time. It's a horrible website. I don't know why anybody even bothers looking at it or using it or putting anything down about it. I mean, you know, whatever you can say what you want about blabbing out the brave words, you know, they look into and investigate their pieces before they print them. All news articles, all news sites, whether it's music news or international news or any kind of news, they always going to come up with a headline that's going to grab you. That's how they get you to read the article. I, I get that. You know, but don't make it a false one or a fake one. At least make it something that's real within the article. You don't put that that somebody died when they didn't. I mean, and, and, and somebody who's, I guess, associated with Lee Kerslake, asked them where they got this information from they want to know because they were going to contact, I guess, an attorney about it. And Lee Kersley just got his awards um, from the Rock Hall of Fame or the Heads and Metal Hall of Fame, whatever the fuck that is. I don't even know what they have anymore. They come up with all these different things uh, to counter-react the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I couldn't even tell you what they are because really they don't mean anything to me. Uh, but he was just <laughs> getting the award, and they and they post this article. When the Sheriff's where it came from, somebody posts a Facebook page with some guy on Facebook who wrote that down. So this site is getting the metal news from people on Facebook who post news articles. I could go on there today and write down, you know, that Ozzy had a sex change, and they would post it tomorrow. That's not how you post news. You have to investigate. You have to get the information, the facts out there, and then post your article. They're literally going on Facebook and seeing people's posts and making them news articles. Why even deal with the site? Go to Brave Birds, go to Blabbermouth, you know, and get the news right there. And if it's real news like Lee Kerslake, a guy, you know, of his caliber dying, it would be in the regular news too. So, I mean, I'm glad he's not. He is on the way out. I do know that he's old and he's getting sick, uh, but he's not gone yet. You know, so I don't like when sites do that, especially this one. You know, I, this is like the second time a week they've done something really stupid like that, in my opinion. All right. Well, somebody we did lose this week uh, was Bruce Corbett from Rigor Mortis on War Beast just a couple of days ago. Bruce has been fighting cancer for the last two years. Bruce was a good friend of the show. We had him on here a couple of years ago. The last time uh, War Beast came through town, I put the band up in a hotel, said it wouldn't have to crash on somebody's couch. And, and Bruce was always a class act and a great guy. Somebody definitely missed. I mean, he fought this thing for two years straight, you know. And I know they said he was going at the hospital about a week ago, and unfortunately, he didn't make it much longer than that. Hopefully, he went out, you know, peacefully the way he deserved to. So maybe we'll do some more beats right now. Maybe we'll do some rigor mortis. We'll see what comes up first in the schedule here. I think we got some rigor mortis, right? Yeah, we do. So we'll play rigor mortis, get them to hell. I'm my own way. And we've got to go on a 
trick with the beast. I don't think that record was ever re-released. Uh, the original one came out in 1985, I believe on Roadrunner Records, but I don't think there were any reissues or re-releases of that record uh, since that time. So, uh, That'd be a pretty good idea if somebody get a hold of them. I, I mean, I think I'm going to reach out to them. They were out of Chicago, if I remember, back in the day. They try to get them on the show. It'd be pretty cool. That's what we do around here. We try to dig up, uh, you know, these old bands and uh, give them new life. All right, let me see here. I was, uh, before we get to music, I was bouncing around through uh, Metal Forces magazine. You know, I have all the old back issues. Every now and then when I'm bored, I pull one out and try to remember what was going on back in the day. So I grabbed uh, issue number five which had to be uh, around the summer of 1984. Back then, they didn't put down the months on there. It was just the issue number. But based on some of the articles in here, uh, Neil Turbin leaves Anthrax. That happened uh, around the summer of uh, 84, I believe. So that's when this came out. There's a thing in here in the news section where they're talking to uh, the Ben Hillian, uh, the one out of New York back in the day. So I'll just read the article to you. I think it's pretty funny. Uh, it says, continuing with the battle of the two Hillian saga, a far from happy basis, Dave Clark Howell, from the New York Hillian has contacted Metal Forces following the comments made by the L.A. version's vocalist Anne Boleyn. I don't remember what was said uh, between these two bands, but to be honest with you, it must have been an issue number four. I'll have to dig it up. And uh, I should have did that first. See, that's good research. I should have got issue four and read it. I found what was going on if I read this to you, but I just had to be bouncing through it when the song was playing, and I, I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, to get back to what I was reading, it says, uh, following the comments made by L.A.'s version's vocalist Anne Boleyn in the last issue, Dave says Metal Force's readers should not be deceived by the rantings and ravings of a certain gang of incompetent Californian weirdos and freaks led by the constantly naturally <laughs> cramped and blowjob, <laughs> blowjob, who have violently insulted the League of New York Metal fans with their vain attempts at discrediting the name of Hillian. Since our last name and logo, that doesn't make any sense, so that's the way it's written. Since our, la- since our name and logo is what they meant to say. Since our name and logo were registered and trademarked at the time of our 1982 single release, one way or another, any dispute over the true ownership of the name is hence rendered futile. Equally ridiculous are the acid rain-induced cries of cashing in on Miss Blowjob's self-claimed success. In reality, our Dangerous Maneuvers album has consistently outsold the false Hayans' lame vinyl offering worldwide. A quick glance at the pen banger section of any Metal Forces issue will verify the non-celebrity of Los Angeles' sorry lot. The greedy slime and slut who claims otherwise are nothing more than a foul-smelling gang of self-centered bullshit artists with massively overblown egos. I mean, this guy shouldn't hold back, right? The New Yorkers are currently in the Hit Factory studio recording the second album for merchandise and fan club info on the band right to Hillian Rebellion Merchandise, Spring Valley, New York. I got to go look up this guy and see if I can find him and get him on the show. I got my own beef with Anne Boleyn. She doesn't know it, but I got my own issues with her. So that's kind of funny, in my opinion. Uh, say what of you will. <laughs> that's the way it was back then. All right, let's get back to the music. Onslaught. We're going to go back to the Power from the Hell record with Skull Crusher. I don't know what's going on with the band. It's been about six or seven years since the record came out. I know uh, Cy had to miss a lot with the band going on back then. I guess it was for personal reasons. And he wasn't saying that's when Neil Turbin stepped in and the whole uh, fight got going between uh, Nige and Neil Turbin. We had Neil on the show that time to talk about it. Uh, but let's go back to the early days of the band. Hopefully, they'll get us some new music real soon. Because those last two records they put out were actually pretty good albums. Here's Skull Crusher. <laughs> Thank you. 
se fossi l'ultimo uomo sulla terra, cosa faresti? Siamo dei piccoli punti nell'infinito, ostinati a diventare, a evolverci, a crescere, per poi tornare ad essere noi e tutto. La tua fede cadrebbe in un'ascesa di dubbi. Lo spazio sconfinato e l'immensa solitudine prenderebbero sopra il vento e nell'ignoto pagherai, trovando nelle ceneri il tuo unico conforto. going to that's the intro to the song and on cd you know when you're making it mp3s each one's individual <laughs> actual song just the intro to it i'm so used to my vinyls where you just put the needle down and it runs right through everything uh dear lord that's what happens when you go digital all right well we're gonna wrap it up here tonight anyway we're calling it a day i want to thank steve and brian from burned offerings for being on tonight's show don't forget to tune in next Sunday night. Michael Gilbert from Flotsam and Jetsam and Herman Frank. He's got a brand new record out on ASM. We'll talk to him all about that. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm sorry about the difficulties we had in the beginning of the show uh, with no sound on the microphones. Got to straighten that about 20 minutes in, so it wasn't too bad. Just in time for our interview. Let's close it out tonight with Pariah. Here's Evil. I will check all the technical stuff next week before we go on air. Have a great week, everybody. See you next Sunday. Take care.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.